0: Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company, you've come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, and somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest is helping humanity prepare for an increasingly tech-driven future with her signature strategic optimism. Widely known as the Tech Humanist, she is the founder and CEO of KO Insights. An industry leader and someone who excels at introducing new successes to companies, as one of the first 100 employees at Netflix, she created the first content management role, developed Toshiba's, Toshiba America's first internet, and founded MetaMarketer, one of the first digital strategy analy- and analytics agencies. Those and her multiple books, other achievements have made her an in-demand expert in tech, expert tech commentator and writer. Through all of her accomplishments, multiple awards, research, writing, speaking, advocacy, she distinguishes herself by concentrating on sharing the impact of data and emerging technologies on current and future human experiences with a blend of wisdom, humor, and humility. Her talents extend well beyond the world of strategy. She speaks around 20 languages, admittedly some well enough just to order the next round of drinks, which I am 100% down with, and has learned to play more than a dozen musical instruments. Welcome, Kate O'Neill. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Kathy. What a great bio! My goodness, that's one I didn't write. I'm so excited to hear it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I always like to change it up. I'm sure, I, I, <laughs> like you, I speak not as not as often, but um, you know, you get up there and they introduce you, and you're like, oh my god, I'm so boring because <laughs> you know, yeah. you've heard it so many times. So um, yes, I do a little uh, a little a little stalking on social and 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 no, pick it's up some fantastic. Kids, but so. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. I've seen you speak. I've read a couple of your books, um, some of your articles and uh, truly inspirational. I mean, some of the comments that I've, I've read from, from past clients and as well as event coordinators truly hit the mark. But I've given my audience, our audience, uh, just the highlights. Maybe you can get, just give us a little bit more of, of who Kate O'Neill is and, and what you do.
1: Uh, That was such a great intro. I I don't want to step on it. Um, The the funny thing, I think that the connection with the 20 languages you mentioned is that I uh, was always a language nerd as a kid. My, my Actually, my undergraduate degree is in German with a minor in Russian and a concentration in international studies. And my, my grad work is in linguistics and language development. And what I mean to demonstrate by sharing that is that I've always had a fascination with language as a communication tool, but also as a proxy for meaning. And so meaning turns out to be this really important theme throughout my career uh, and throughout my life that I've been fascinated by how it is that humans are sort of driven to meaning and compelled by meaning and how it is that we create meaning, how we seek it, how we make it out of our senses and how we make it from everything from that semantic layer of how we communicate, you know, through words and language, all the way out through kind of patterns and abstractions and and truth and significance and purpose to the most macro like existential and cosmic. What's it all about? And why are we here questions? Those are all meaning. And I think it's really important for for the work that I do now around that impact of data and emerging technology on human experience, as you say, both sort of present and future, to make sure that we're always grounding the the ways that we create interactions and transactions with people in an understanding of what is going to be meaningful for people. In other words, what matters to people and what is going to matter in the future. So that's a that's a kind of... Uh, philosophical, I suppose intro into what has been the orientation of 25 years in technology and you know fascination with with just humans in general throughout that process.
0: Well, we are a fascinating species. Um, I <laughs> often joke around you know if, if anybody seriously if there's anybody else there in the in the universe watching us if there's other life forms that are like looking at us if we're you know that that hypothetical experiment that people talk about, what if we're just an experiment in a petri dish right they're looking <laughs> at us going oh my gosh <laughs> they're not they, they let us keep going they're the experiments keeping going because they haven't figured us out yet yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, we definitely haven't figured ourselves out yet. Although I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, we we still could. I think there's a there's potential and and um if we can't if we don't completely destroy ourselves and you know burn it all up in the next few decades, then there's a chance that we might figure it out.
0: Oh, from <laughs> your mouth to our audience's ears <laughs> yeah. to whoever can make that happen. <laughs> because I'm quite, quite frankly, I'm, I'm getting a little worried that we're just, we're not going to get there, right? Like there's just so much data and information that we should be all listening to and doing so much better. And there's just so many who are not. So that's right. But this is a happy podcast. This is a good thing. So um, as my audience knows, I I always ask uh, four questions of my guests. So if you're ready to get going, we'll dig into those. Of course. Excellent.
1: So what's the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? Oh, I I was a really um, musically oriented kid. I remember being really fascinated with the radio and trying to figure out, you know, what, what was happening in the radio. And I, I wanted to be a singer songwriter once I figured out, you know, that that was a thing that was happening, that there were people who were, you know, writing and recording this music and that there were radio stations and they were broadcasting it. I even remember when I was a little little kid. I don't even remember how, like six or seven years old, and we had a typewriter in our living room, in our uh, family room rather. And I remember typing out the lyrics to um, uh, Bob Seger's "Against the Wind." Uh, You know, sort of dates me, I guess, (laughs) for sure. But I remember, like, I, I had a recording, like I recorded it on a cassette tape, and I was pressing pause and play, you know, trying to get every lyric and I was typing out the lyrics, trying to study the art of songwriting at that age. And I remember my parents finding it, I could hear in my bedroom one night, my parents talking about how weird it was, and how interesting it was that their little <laughs> child was typing out the lyrics to this, you know, grown man's, you know, song or whatever. But it was just because I was so fascinated with songwriting. So that has remained an interest of mine all my life, uh, you know, just music and writing and, and the, the art of communicating in different forms. So that, that probably would have been the one that was my earliest. Well, there's still time. Yeah, I did. I did time. actually live in Nashville to try to make that happen. So it it it's a ship that sailed, but uh, but we're all good. <laughs> all right.
0: Who was the first big influencer you
1: remember in your life? I, uh, you know, it's funny. I think I'd say my mom. Um, she had been uh, not she had a high school graduation. And she, she's still alive. I don't want to talk about her only in the past tense. But when when I was growing up she had uh been out of the workforce you know had been a secretary uh been my dad's secretary which is how they met sort of a stereotypical 1960s romance um and then uh they got together and and then as soon as my sister and brother came into the world and then i came into the world uh, my mom was stay-at-home mom and she was out of the workforce and then she went back when i was you know maybe eight nine years old and became a secretary again Uh, but she figured out she worked her way up and became an executive secretary at the local chamber of commerce. And then eventually through just, you know, sheer ambition and smarts and, and determination, she became the CEO of a chamber of commerce that served five communities around my hometown. And I just found that so fascinating that she, she just through her own willpower, like worked her way up into this executive role and was, you know, uh, she still is a uh, she, she was a, an elected official. She's a very VIP, you know, in that that town. And it's, it's very cool to think of my mom having this trajectory that she sort of invented for herself and and got herself. A, she should be a guest of your show. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to have her. Absolutely. Make the introduction. I mean, uncharted um... journeys for sure.
0: I mean, that's truly inspirational. No, no kidding that you've achieved or or felt empowered to achieve uh, what you have with,
1: with that kind of role model. That's amazing. Yeah. And then of course she uh, enlisted my dad and I, and you know, anyone who would be helpful in the family to, you know, stuff envelopes or, you know, (laughs) man, a table at the uh, chamber of commerce business after hours or whatever. So I, at like, nine or 10 years old would sit at the registration table at a business after hours mixer and check people in, hand out their, you know, name tags or whatever, collect the money, and then as soon as I was done at the registration table, I would come in and mingle with the adults and you know, just be like the little 10 year old that was like, so how's business over there at the car wash? You know, this little precocious kid.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Is there a song that epitomizes your career path or one that you associate, like really connect
1: with right now? It just comes to the top of my mind is, um, do you know the song break my stride by Matthew Welder? Like, ain't nothing going to break my stride. I think he says it like break on my stride by the way, but that one seems like it's a, it's a really empowering, like continuity song. I think that would probably be the one that's not a duplicate with anyone that you've had before. Is it? Um, I'm
0: not sure if it was, it was like many, many moons ago. Okay. Um, Interesting. I, I would have I thought maybe you'd go something a little um, off the beaten path because really? again, you know, tracking you on, <laughs> on, on socials, I noticed that your number one song for twenty twenty two or in the top was You Me and the Bourgeoisie by the
1: Submarines. I love that song. Which- obviously.
0: I didn't submarines not
1: you know household name so I was like oh my gosh we have like the same taste in music oh that's cool yeah no I I do love some off the beaten path music um, but yeah that I think that um, Conceptually, like if I just think about the title and what, what it comes across, I think the other way I could go would be to say, you know, one of my walk on songs as a speaker is She Blinded Me with Science by Thomas Dolby. Oh, so, and you know, there's always kind of this like nerd element in how I uh, present. There's kind of a, a I think it's like a dorkable is the term that people <laughs>
0: have used. All right. I, so, that's a new one for me. So, thank we'll you for that. expanding my vocabulary. <laughs> What are three words that you would use to describe your, yourself, your career?
1: I, I guess curious is a, is a big one. I've always been curious. Um, still am. Adapted, adaptable, adaptive, <laughs> some version of that word. <laughs> and then um, I guess it's a really similar idea, but like reinventing or reinvention also Uh, I I feel like that's been, I'm really attracted to people who reinvent themselves a few times in their lives, uh, much related to the theme of this show. Um, You know, this idea of you did something already, you sort of figured out a path, um, but maybe that's not the only path. Maybe you can take the insights from that path and go chart a new path. And that's just, that's really, really exciting to me.
0: I like that. I love the the leveraging of what you've learned to take a new path um <clears throat> It's something that um interestingly enough a, a book that i was I was recently reading, which completely escapes me, which I apologize to the author um was just was kind of around that it was an entrepreneur uh leadership type book, and so many stories were just that they had been doing something and thought, Wow, if I use this for that.' What could I accomplish? And and there are so many stories of that um, out there. It's just it's it's truly amazing. And and I think more and more um, people and the generations coming up from behind us are really seeing that. And we're setting an example. Or those of us who are doing it are setting an example for them to go. You know what? I don't have to stick to the path that I choose originally. I can change my career. I can reinvent myself. Which I don't know about you, but me growing up, I mean. When I told my parents I was changing jobs a couple of times, I mean, when I left IBM, my mother was beside herself. What are you doing leaving IBM? That's like the pinnacle of careers. Why would you ever? It's like, because it's not the right place for me, but just couldn't fathom changing for the sake of changing, you know? Yeah. Um, So it's interesting.
1: It is interesting. I think that's a that's definitely a thing that's evolved in in our lifetimes. You know the way the way people think about their career trajectory, their career journey, their whether it's charted or uncharted. But I think that you know the important lesson there, and, and I tell this to uh, college students and high school students a lot whenever I have the chance to, is that they shouldn't stress. You know, no one young should stress about trying to sort of anticipate what their career is going to look like. I think you need to put do thought into it and be intentional about it, but you're never going to be able to anticipate every change that's coming. You know, I couldn't have majored in the things that I now need to know in order to do the work that I do, you know, over the last, you know, 25 plus years that I've been in this field, things have evolved, things have happened. You know, the, the web was invented while I was in college. So there, <laughs> there really was no opportunity to, to sort of major in the web, even if thats don't doubt that's a thing now. Even, but uh, but anything like digital uh, culture or digital studies or you know the impact of of digital uh, society on humans and human experience, like we couldn't have anticipated all of this stuff. Is just uh, expertise and experience that I've accumulated over the years of being in the field in the profession. So it's a it's really i I think that mindset of you know openness and adaptability and resilience and just being willing to learn and willing to try new things and willing to reapply those learnings to new fields and new new uh technologies you know new disciplines that's so important
0: absolutely so <clears throat> perfect segue your career has been. While there's been a thread throughout it, it absolutely, you, there's been zigs and there's been zags. So what's that journey been like? How has that the decision points happened to get you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I think there've been a few uh, true surprises. Like I, I, I was heading up the language laboratory at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and I'd built the first, uh, I'd built a website for the language lab, and it was the first departmental website, as it turned out, at the school um at a time in 94 when there were so few websites coming online every day that they were being manually curated onto a page of like what's new on the web today uh which is always sort of mind-blowing to younger people who weren't around to experience that but the the fact was that that was novel and it got the attention of someone uh at Toshiba in California and we exchanged emails and they recruited me to come out and work for them and build their intranet. Um, that was a complete surprise. Like I, I wouldn't have anticipated that I would have made the move. From I thought I, I thought I was a language laboratory professional at that point. I was like, this is this is my field. And now, oh, now I'm a, a an intranet developer and a, a web developer. Um, they also had me doing tech writing. It was like they couldn't justify having a full time intranet web developer. So I was a tech writer as well. And that turned out to open up a whole field in silicon valley doing tech writing it was just like abundant work so at that time in the mid 90s mid to late 90s that was a flourishing field to be in there was all kinds of software and hardware to be documented I became pretty good at it. I became, uh, you know, involved with the Society for Technical Communication. And that was kind of a a chapter where I was, uh, I became a manager in different startups and and really learned a lot, you know, all the while managing web presences and, you know, kind of figuring that out. So it was a very unexpected career curve. Uh, And then when I got to Netflix and they didn't, they didn't know what to do with me, but they created this role, this content manager role. And that, of course, was a complete surprise and also a wonderful turn of events. It was something that, by the way, I I, I love sharing this this uh, detail. I sought out Netflix because they had uh, they were far enough along that they had inserts in the DVD players that you could buy at the store um, if you were in the Bay Area. They had managed to get those kinds of that distribution. Okay. Um, but they weren't very far along. They were still within, as you mentioned in my intro, we were within, within the first hundred employees. So I sent them my resume when I saw everything that they were doing. And I said, I think you're really on to something. Oh, because it was still at the point where they were doing a la carte DVD rental. And then they introduced this monthly subscription plan. And I thought, like, that's really, really brilliant. I sent them my resume. I said, I don't know what you need, but here's what I can do. And they created this role for me and brought me on and again totally unexpected so i think it's you know a lot of those kinds of things that have happened sort of foundationally in my career have been just kind of like uh seeking out the opportunities but also being receptive to them when they show up at my door and they just land in front of me like okay sure i'll take this <laughs> and then some of them have been things that i don't think i was fully qualified for and yet i haven't i haven't wanted that to get in my way you know like the internet web developer thing at toshiba I really didn't know everything it took to do that, but nobody did at that time. So it took a lot of research and a lot of confidence having this actual server sitting on my desk, you know, building it out piece by piece in software. And, and that, that was a whole like feat of confidence, self-confidence. So I think that's a, a piece that I love sharing with people is just to allow that to be, um, you know, allow themselves to be open to the the opportunities that might show up at their doorstep.
0: I I love. We've got some some parallels in our in our careers. So, starting off, um, I did a, a degree in communications and, and marketing and political science with a minor in, in biology because I had moved. Out. I had intended to be a doctor, and then figured out that social <laughs> science science students had half the hours. And I couldn't fathom going into debt for med school. So I'm like, sure, comms, makes sense. Um, every English teacher I'd had up till then was shuddering in their, in their shoes. But that's another story. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, met up with a, with a gentleman um, who to this day is one of the biggest influences in my career and wasn't hiring. It was a, a tech startup. He goes, but call me before you take a job because I was looking for a job. And so I got a job offer. I called him. He said, don't take it. Show up on Monday. We'll figure it out. And when I was there, it was just that. It was creating these spaces. I I built the first intranet. Why? Because I thought they should have one. I put the annual report online. Why? Because I thought it was a good idea. Nobody was doing it. People are like, intranet? Even the people I worked with, it's like, you want me to do what? you know i had been doing the layout of the the employee newsletter every couple of weeks and whatever i'm like no no i'm going to put this online everybody has access you know we're all so you know i love the the balance that you've had between again you know seeking out the opportunities but being open to ones that present themselves that may not exactly line up with us because i think again this is where one area where women and it's been proven you know, when we look at a job description, if we can't tick 90% of the boxes, then we're like, oh, I can't do this job. Like, I'm not the right person for it. Not that I can't do it, because there's a bunch of us that go, I can do this job. I don't know how to do that, but I'll teach myself. Um, whereas a guy is like, first two boxes, I got this. We're all the you know, way we, we go. So I love the confidence and you talking about the confidence that you've built up with each step that you've made. and. I've got to imagine at some point there was a defining moment or decision action, something that really significantly impacted the trajectory of your career to take you to where you are
1: today, a world leader in your space. A world leader that was a, um, a role model? Is that what you're saying?
0: No, no, no. So something that something oh, that oh, that a defining moment <laughs> action, something that got you to where you are the world leader, because you really are. I mean, in, in your space, there's nobody who does what you do as well as you do it.
1: Well, thank you. And, and I, I appreciate that. Um, I think the defining moment is more of a defining thread that, that I I started noticing. Um, I think it's right around the time when LinkedIn started allowing you to collect testimonials and that's probably like mid two thousands, you know, early two thousands. Uh, and I started noticing that a lot of my colleagues, described me as obsessively, uh, user focused or obsessively customer focused, or in particular, there were these, just these testimonials that people were saying that I was really good, like unnervingly, un, un, uh, unprecedentedly good at balancing the business need and the user need. And, you know, that, that insight, seeing that a few times, was, was enough to make me realize maybe this is actually kind of unique. Like there's plenty of people who are focused on user experience or customer experience, although that was still a pretty emerging field at that time. Those, those fields in particular to be named as such. Um, But, but the idea of being someone who, uh, who really got the experience from the user or customer side but also really kept the business strategy and the the drivers of the business in mind and could figure out a way to translate you know note that translate is of course a language oriented metaphor and i think that made a lot of sense to me translate you know those requirements from the business side over to what the user or customer might need and translate back you know what the user or customer might enjoy back into something that what might drive or reward the business. And you know, finding a way to make those things align and make sense together and really do that through technology, through data has been you know the thing that's really broken me free, I think over the last decade or so. Um, is you know finding that to be um, the thing that people really value out of out of the the clients that I've worked with who seem like they could really articulate what it is they appreciated about you know, the perspective I was bringing and the work I was helping them to do, you know, with them to really excel at, it's really finding that, that not just balance, but that real integration between, you know, what makes the business tick and what makes the people outside the business tick and how can we actually make technology accelerate and amplify that alignment as opposed to just being a facilitator of some business driver that the, you know, user or customer grudgingly has to interact with.
0: So, from um, your current role, you've got you're you're juggling many things. Um, are you working on a new book, book number six?
1: Yeah, I uh, I am. I have been for uh, a while, and I actually thought that that it would be something slated for this year, but it's a little a little slower going. I actually kind of appreciate that about the process right now because I think it's it's slower going because I think I'm really trying to hear my client in the process you know hear the audience and and get get really close to what the audience needs i think you know the last the last books um future so bright and tech humanist uh were both they're more manifesto driven i'd say you know i'm i'm trying to solve some problems i'm trying to lay out some some uh guide work for industry but but they're coming from a very manifesto-ish kind of place. Um, Pixels in Place before that was definitely much more of a, um, a practitioner guide to, um, to how to solve some of these integrated physical and digital experience problems that we face. But I think that right now what I feel like the opportunity is is to really hear what's going on in the business space and in the practitioner space and, and try to get close to that, that problem area so that what I de- what I develop with the, c- the clients, with the audience is closer to the real solution that they're looking for. Um, so that feels like the next step is to, to, um, get out of my own manifesto space and get closer to, you know, something that the, the audience is really craving and needing at that point. So there's the work ahead of me. It's no
0: small task. <laughs> no small task. Writing a book is, um, is one of those things I've, I've heard for every variety of. It came to me and I had it written in four weeks, uh, you know, two months ahead of my editor deadline and my editor passed out. Um, that's only I've only heard that once, by the way. Other times it's, you know, I went into this knowing, thinking I knew what it was going to be and let the process happen. And it took me longer, but I got a better product out of it. So it sounds yeah. like you're leaning into to that where you may have gone in with some expectations, as we often do with many things, book yeah. writing or, or otherwise, um, and really letting your, your heart and your, your head, like you said, meld and, and translate those experiences to, to what you need to put onto paper. But I, I've got to imagine, with with all that you have going on, thinking back to where you've been, to what you're focusing on now, that what's your current role like? What, what gets you up in the morning? What are some of the challenges or compromises in balancing everything that you have on the go? Uh,
1: I'm I'm still really driven by um, by the big questions that underlie this work. I, I think that more than ever, you know, we have these kind of big. Existential challenges, uh, technology is no small part of that. Um, really trying to think about, you know, what AI and emerging technology around automation and robotics, all that, what what that means to us, you know, now and in the future, what it means to us, you know, in, in I don't want to say mundane ways, but I mean, but, but sort of quotidian ways like shopping or, you know, um, connecting with one another online like this. But also the very important components of you know what does the future of work and jobs in the workplace look like, and what does the future of education look like? What does the future of healthcare look like? And so those are those are big sort of um, topical questions, but sort of philosophical questions. And they're the ones that keep me puzzling. And I, I keep doing a lot of sort of polymathic reading and and education self-education, trying to make sure I understand, you know, things like, uh better understand things like economics and policy setting policy making uh so that when i speak with like as i did last year speak with um the world leaders uh world leaders sorry world government summit in dubai um it's to to a bunch of government leaders that i'm not sort of speaking out of turn and and not making recommendations that don't have any alignment with you know policy i'm certainly not going to make policy recommendations because that's not my area of expertise but I don't want to, you know, come from a place of being completely ignorant of, of policymaking or of economic, you know, sort of theory uh, when I'm making recommendations or summarizing the state of things or, or or offering up insights into the opportunity ahead. So that's what keeps me going. I think it's just really that I mentioned curiosity earlier. Um, it's an incredibly important part of, of my personality and my work. Um, And it's why, you know, KO Insights is the name of my company. I think that connection between curiosity and insights is what keeps it going, just that through line of learning.
0: Curiosity, I think, is one of the most underestimated and undervalued uh, traits that we can encourage um, as kids. You know, oh, you're too curious and don't be so curious and or other you know, words that, that are the same. And I think you need to cultivate that and encourage it. And as adults, sometimes we've lost the ability to be um, childlike curious into things. So I absolutely adore the fact that you let your work and things be driven by that sense of curiosity. And um, I should have mentioned the World Government Summit in Dubai because oh, no. <laughs> that, ha- that had
1: to have been so cool. Like when it was you got that cool. invite, what was that like? I didn't believe it at first because it seemed it seemed too wild, too outlandish to be true. Was
0: it like the prince? The prince wants to give you ten thousand dollars <laughs> kind of email. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's that sort of thing. I think there's, you know, I, I belong to a few uh, speaker groups in Facebook, or you know, I, I'm part of the National Speakers Association, and so in our in our various discussions, there are always these kinds of joke sort of uh invitations that people share like you get invited to some dubious thing halfway around the world that sounds way too good to be true because it is too good to be true <laughs> and so this did kind of have some of the earmarks of that and like wait this this doesn't make any sense but it was through a reputable bureau that i've worked with a number of times uh and everything checked out and so i kind of approached my reply to the inquiry as well, I'm just going to entertain this, but I don't believe it necessarily to be right. on the up and up. And so, sure enough, it all came together, and it came together really quickly too, which is, you know, how I've I've been told numerous times by people on the ground in Dubai is a very Dubai thing. Like <laughs> they decide they're going to go ahead with something, and a week later, it's on on the docket. So, uh, very interesting experience. I I definitely learned a ton from that, it was right at the end of the um, the expo that was supposed to be uh, Expo 2020 and extended because of the pandemic. So right. at the, uh, it was early 2022 and they were wrapping that up. But I got to see that, I got to walk around the expo fairgrounds and it was so interesting. Um, got to you know meet and be around a lot of very interesting world leaders, meet people from uh, various delegations from around the world super super educational and enlightening um i i crave more of it now you know that i think that's that's kind of i had had some experience with um working around with the un and and around the un so you know uh, that was another one that just seemed too good to be true i had done some speaking for an organization um at the un headquarters and i think because of having that on my sort of profile or or resume someone involved with the united nations cop 26 uh sorry COP25 climate change summit reached out to me to facilitate a panel with a bunch of leaders in technology on how emerging technology and artificial intelligence in particular can help us fight climate change and i was uh, blown away by the opportunity it was an amazing experience it was very similar in that you know i got to really soak up an awful lot of uh, immersive learning really quickly in those days uh yeah so between Cop 25 and uh, the World Government Summit. And there's just, just been these opportunities that, as I say, I crave more of them. That opportunity to kind of um, think at a really global level and talk with other people who are thinking about global ramifications and impacts of decisions being made um, at the country level, at city level. You know, that can scale, that have kind of impacts that are really important and consequential I think that's so it's so inspiring to me and I, I look forward to hopefully doing more of that absolutely uh, so I have to ask who which world leader or
0: um, uh, yeah I guess world leader that you met that you were most awestruck by or
1: just mo- more most excited to meet I I think there were an awful lot who I didn't I don't think that any of the ones that I met in person were um, you know nobody there wasn't anybody like on the sort of presidential level that i was okay. interacting with um but i did see you know these kind of like the sultan of brunei walk by or the the crown prince of of um uae like them walking by and having this in- incredible entourage around them was a really sort of daunting experience like even for someone like i'm not i'm not someone who's uh like a royal watcher when it comes to like the uk monarchy or anything like that like I i don't really think about that sort of um, uh, governance as being relevant to my life, but I understand that it's very relevant to a lot of people's lives, and so yes. to see that kind of presence and the the real gravitas that comes with it, I mean the Sultan of Brunei is a pretty little guy, <laughs> but yet he has such an a massive presence, and it doesn't hurt that he's got you know a hundred people flanked around him, so right. it really adds to that gravitas. It was really interesting. That's very cool. So, I mean, I can't
0: imagine wanting to do anything else, but let's just say you couldn't (laughs) be a human-centered tech strategist. You couldn't do what you do. What would you do? What would be your,
1: what's your alter ego? You know, it's funny, the, the thing that comes back to me again and again over the years is that I've always had a real kind of side passion that that i've thought about many times and i've sort of done this like tapping my fingers together in my front of my face like hmm maybe i could like open a restaurant and i'm a, a vegan for many years so I, i've been vegan since 98 so it would be a vegan restaurant for sure uh i've i've done raw food uh raw dieting or you know raw sort of orientation in my vegan lifestyle uh, many times and so i think there'd be a raw inclination to it but my real um my real interest is in more like comfort food made accessible and made nutritious. Um so if any of your listeners are in Chicago, like Chicago Diner is a real inspiration. Um so if so you have great. a chance to go there, yeah, it's so, so good. Um, So I think about that, but I also think, like, I don't hate myself enough to open a restaurant and throw my money away and throw my time away because, you know, so few people make that work. Uh, I think you have to be such an exceptional person with such an exceptional gift to really make that work. So uh, it it remains a a wish.
0: (laughs) You have a built-in audience. So certainly from a a comfort food, um, I think people would be flocking um, just to try it right and if you could tie in you know that everything we've talked about that that curiosity and the language and the experience I can't imagine it wouldn't be just absolutely kick-ass I would I would come to New York for it well
1: thank you <laughs> yeah I don't um, know if doing it in New York is even the best idea I mean have oh, you seen the rents here <laughs> right?
0: oh, yeah there's so many in New York
1: <laughs> oh my gosh um,
0: you could come to Toronto
1: Yeah, We have a a great
0: food scene here. It's a bit cold,
1: but, you know. (laughs) There is a great food scene in Toronto. I I think uh, Canada is a a really underrated country, and I think Canadians probably prefer it that way. It's it's a little flying under the radar, you know, like you're very cool, you have it together in many, many ways, but, like, let's not let everybody know that because immigration is already really intense. Yeah, yeah.
0: Sometimes we do feel that way. Sometimes it's like, (laughs) oh really but uh, yeah, I have to say there is, there is no other place that I would choose to be from. Uh, I would love to try living in other places. Um, that's the next chapter. I'll get there eventually and on short term, but uh, Canada will always be home for me. Oh, that's wonderful. So for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, you've already given us such great advice throughout our conversation, but what would be your best or one piece of advice that you would give on life, career,
1: success, and happiness, anything you'd like to share from that front? I think, you know, I heard this advice some years back that struck me as wise at the time, but I've had, I felt it was problematic since then. And it was this idea of uh, falling in love with the problem, not the solution. And the, the, the meaning was, you know, you're, you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to solve a problem but you fall in love with the solution to the problem then you're too locked into the one way of doing things and you might be overlooking a better way to do the thing uh and you you might be too attached to your particular initial idea and you won't adapt to other opportunities but i think if you take it broader and just say fall in love with the question and not the answer um, that still even seems like it's not quite at this kind of core truth which i think is um, as I mentioned earlier, I love this idea of kind of intersecting themes of curiosity. To me, it's about falling in love with really important questions, plural, and and having them be, you know, kind of supportive of one another. So one of the big questions I ask myself on a regular basis is, you know, how can humanity prepare for what appears to be an increasingly tech and data-driven future? How can I help? And how can we all help humanity prepare? Um, that question keeps me pretty engaged a lot of the time, but it won't always, you know, it might be too abstract some days and some days a, a different kind of abstract question, like, you know, is meaning really what makes humans human um, or is there something else that makes humans human? Or, you know, what is, what does the rise of artificial intelligence mean for uh, human kind of uniqueness? Like what, what our perceived uniqueness? So I think just being, Driven by the compulsion to, you know, be fascinated by the question and not the answer, is probably uh, what I would leave folks with. That I, I think it's okay if you're, if you're, um, I mean, if you're someone who is really kind of single-minded, focused on one problem or one question, great, and that keeps you going. I just think, for me personally, I'm, su- I'm such a um, sort of generalist and someone who has so many interests across so many different things, that it's really important for me to keep attached to a a, ver- a variety of, of questions and a variety of passions, and then look for all the ways that I can derive, you know, cross-sectional insights from those. So I would share that if, if that's helpful for anyone who is also a generalist and is also kind of multi-passionate, multi-curious, you know, keep those things. Because one day, you know, someday, some days that one question isn't going to be doing it for you. (laughs) You need something else to get you out of bed and get you excited. So I hope that you find those things. I I really am uh, um, so driven by the the intersecting curiosity and going back and looking through my own notes often gets me going. So I hope that that's something that people find useful.
0: Intersecting curiosity. (laughs) I am absolutely going to lift that. So I will quote you, but... um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I that is that is a great way of putting that. So thank you so much. Where can our audience find you outside of this podcast? Um any upcoming speaking socials, where's the best place to get you?
1: Yeah, uh, there's always my, my business is called KO Insights, and so koinsights.com is uh, the website for that, and that's also you know where where people can book me for speaking. As the social media has become so strange lately that you know you can find me still on Twitter at Kate O. Um and you know Facebook and all that, but I don't spend a lot of time there anymore. It's gotten so strange. I am on Mastodon. I am on uh, uh, LinkedIn, of course, at uh, K A T E O N E I L L Kate O'Neill. Uh, so that that's probably the most stable <laughs> response in all of this social media shakeup that we've been through lately.
0: So crazy, yeah.
1: I I personally have stepped away from
0: Twitter just a couple of weeks before Christmas. I'm like, you know what? I just I can't. I I will wait and see. Did you see that uh, Musk hit the world uh, Guinness World Book of Records for losing the largest amount of personal wealth in the fastest amount of time? Yeah. So kudos to him. Congratulations. (laughs)
1: Congratulations. That's got to feel good. Right. I mean, lose all the money, but then, hey, you got a Guinness World Record for it. Kate, thank
0: you so much for today's uh, conversation. It's been amazing. I it's one of those you're one of those people that I've wanted to connect with. So so thank you for taking the time. To my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me your host Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kate and hearing about how a commitment to keeping humanity and the human experience connected through curiosity can truly lead to an inspired and inspiring journey. If you're keen to hear more stories from amazing women, Then please head over to unchartedjourneys.net and check out uh, the rest of the show notes from Kate's episode as well as some of our other recordings. And you can sign up for our newsletter. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey.